Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Tipa Snow, everybody. Welcome, Tipa. Hey there. I told everybody, tell me you're an amateur without telling me you're an amateur. Totally my fault for sending the wrong link. I am so very sorry. I apologize. But everybody, welcome to live community. Tipa Snow. Tipa, if you don't know her, is like world-renowned dementia specialist. She helps all, all the people with dementia, except for the people that she doesn't help because they're, they don't know about her yet, but they will. So, Tipa, welcome to live community before I fumble everything else I say about you. Ah, no, it's good to be with you. Today, we are going to be talking about memory, which memories, <laughs> which memory is available. According to Tipa, there's seven to ten different memory types. And which okay. kind we use and how it changes. And so I'm going to mm-hmm. hand it over to Tipa and let her tell you a little bit about herself and get started on today's presentation since we have held you guys up long enough. So again, if you have yeah. a cute question, I will be your moderator, throw them in the Q&A and we'll move on from there. Tipa, welcome. I'm glad to be here. And we are talking about how your brain takes in and then retains information. and it in some ways depends on how important that information is to you. So the very first step in taking in information data, any kind of data, and being able to hold on to it is you have to register it. In other words, you have to get it in there in order for it to be data be retained. One of the things we'll do to check out, do you register information? is I would say, for instance, I'm going to give you three words to remember. Let me give you five. Ball, elephant, uh, gindy five, start, and transmission. What were those five words I just asked you to remember? Now, you guys can put it there in the Q&A, or my friend over here, who's probably busy doing a lot of things, could try to see what she actually registered. Let's see how many she got. What'd you get? You got elephant. I have to be able to unmute things, and my mouse has to be able to work. Tell me, two people tell me I don't need more memory for my computer. But Okay, so I got ball, transmission, 55. And I lost the other two because I was saying hi to the people over that are with us on Facebook. So that's very common. And so what that means is what didn't happen is she didn't register to the pieces of information. So there's absolutely no way she can hold on to that information because she never registered it. And the reason she didn't register it is called divided intention. Can you actually multitask? And the answer is no. You can not. You will do this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. And this thing, if you're trying to multitask, you're going back and forth. You're flip-flopping. And what happened is she was pretty good at three of them. But then when she got more invested in the, the things she was paying attention to, she was not able to divide her attention equally. So she couldn't take my incoming data. And so it never got registered. However, Lynette down there in the chat, she knew she was paying attention. She got off. 
So she got, when we confirmed with her, she got ball and elephant. She got 55. Then she got, and the one she got was dark. And then the last one was transmission. So that's all side. So I just reviewed them. So now let's see, now that you're really focused in here, do you have the five? Ball, elephant, oh. sharp, transmission, and I'm trying not to cheat. Sharp, um, transmission. No, I do not have five. I have four. You have four. One of them is the number. Okay, now here's what I did. When she hadn't quite gotten it, but she almost had it, rather than just say what it was again, because I've done that, what I did is I gave her a clue. I said category. I gave her a category. I said it was a number. As soon as I said it was a number, click, her brain went, yeah, I actually didn't catch that one. But I didn't put it in the word grouping because it's a number. But when I said it's a number, your brain went, oh, yeah, 55. I just didn't know I was going to be tested today. I didn't drink enough caffeine yet. It's a reality. We have to do this all the time. And we do do it all the time, which is one of the reasons as we get older, we are a tiny bit slower and coming in and out of these different areas. So if I'm in the living room and I've been watching a TV program and I decide, you know what, it gets, we get to a pause and I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And I head to the kitchen to make coffee. When I go through that doorway, I am literally telling the memory part of my brain called the hippocampus, reset you're in a new location because when I go through a doorway, I'm in a new space and my brain has to take in all the data of the new space. Now I'm only going to the kitchen. So if I don't get interrupted, what will happen is I'll go over to the coffee maker and I'll make my coffee. Typically with normal aging. However, if the phone rings as I enter the new space and it's my friend and she wants to ask me to go out with her and she is saying we will meet up at two o'clock at the mall down by where they have at Macy's and and I'm paused for a second because so she used the word Macy's. Now Macy's is a noun. How many of you out there know what Macy's is? What is Macy's in that context? What is a store? It's, it's a store. What kind of store? It's a department store. A department store. What would you get at a Macy's? Um, more likely like clothing, probably. Clothing. What else do they have? Household department stuff. Uh-huh. Bed sheets, stuff like that. Bed sheets, stuff like that. Okay, so what is happening right now is I said Macy's. And in this brain over here and in your brains, your brain wish, ooh, I have a long-term memory, a long-term memory of this. And it's called, and this is actually called explicit memory. So this isn't about a short-term, what did I come to the kitchen for? This is, I have this memory about this word, and it's called somatic memory. Also, 
another word for semantic. So it has a shared history among us. So Macy's is in a category, and the category is a department store. When I said a store, a department store, what kind of things do they sell there? Now, this is interesting. We went from a shared memory, Macy's department store, to a personal memory. I'm buying clothes there, which is a different kind of memory because that one's connected to personal experiences in a Macy's type store. Now, I don't know that you've ever actually been to a Macy's. Have you, in fact, bought clothes from Macy's? Yes. Yes. The one in what? Chicago specifically. The one in Chicago specifically. So now, once again, what we have is the brain going, boom, I have circuitry. Excuse me. Let me go get this for you. And it went into not only, yes, I bought something at the Macy's, but which Macy's I bought something at is a personal story memory. But when you said Chicago, a lot of people here went, oh, Chicago, Illinois. Yes. Oh, the Macy's, there's a big Macy's in Chicago, I'll bet you. And interestingly, I bet you might even remember what it is you bought. I do. I do. But it's always off the clearance rack, just saying. Oh, okay. So you got a good deal on it. Always get a good deal on Macy's. Oh. And and it's more personal even that for me. I go up with my daughter. We go up for usually a two or three day trip. We park in Indiana. We take the train. We go shop the clearance racks. We look at the pretty decorations for whatever season it is because Macy's always outdoes themselves. Oh, so when your memory of Macy's has to do with this personal, emotional memory, and it is being triggered and basically controlled by a part of your brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is the survival center of your brain. And it brings up things that are either going to be pleasurable and wonderful and give you a sense of value and purpose and pleasure. Or it helps you get your needs met. Or it warns you of things that are threatening. Oh, stay away from that. That could kill you. Well, you need to know about them because that's how you stay alive. That's where the food is. That's where the coffee is. That's where the toilet is. That's where the, that's where the money is. Where, so those sort of things. Or... that's the best place to go because they have these beautiful decorations and you can buy stuff at low cost on the clearance racks if you can find the right size and the right one and you can try it on and i got to go with my daughter and so what you just heard was spilling out was that opportunity to share with someone else the emotional positive memory about this thing called macy's Now, other ones of you might have New York Macy's or you might have the Macy's Day Parade or you might have that Macy's, as a rule, have this positive emotion for you. The shared information is what kind of stuff can you buy at Macy's? Not what you bought, what she bought. And that's called crystallized knowledge. We crystallize that. We hold on to that. So those are crystallized memories. They're in long-term storage. They're 
explicit. They're, they're very shared. And so what are the things? Betty and clothing. And we can buy housewares. And you can buy, oh, perfumes. Now, I just went, oh, because for me, perfume is this negative experience. I don't enjoy perfumes. So whenever you go into Macy's, you have to watch which place you go into because they have all those counters with all the makeup and the perfume and stuff. And people standing around trying to spray you with that perfume. Yeah, they're always trying to entice you and get you to do it. So that, that's that thread thing for me, which suddenly popped up in the middle of just shared information about what can you get at Macy's. So we're talking about a lot of different memories here. Now, let's go back to how I started this. I used to remember five things. Let's check in and see if you held on to those five while I've taken you on other journeys. Because what we're finding out here is there's a chunk of brain that can hold about five to eight things in what's called short term or what many people call working memory. And those are two different things, but I'm going to put them together because this is where things get a little confusing. Because some people think of short term and working memory as the same thing, they actually aren't. They use different parts of the brain a little bit. So short-term memory. I asked you to hold on to five because I don't know whether you have five to eight, but let's see what you can remember about those five things I asked you to remember. Let's see what you are. Ball, transmission, <laughs> elephant, sharp, and 55. Now, by having for rehearse it episodically, I'm having her rehearsal. I'm doing an episode of rehearsal. She is actually building synapses that make it easier. It's like stretching a muscle. She can now find those five items easier than she could find them when we first stuck them in there in registration. As a matter of fact, she only got three the first time. And then when we confirmed, she got four. And then I gave her a little prompt and she found the thing. 55, that was the number one that she had to go looking for. And now we've done a whole bunch of other things. Let's talk about what led us to the place where I talked about Macy's. Why was I talking about Macy's? Now, I want you to watch. Hang on a second. Watch her brain work because her eyes are shooting all over the place. Did you watch her eyes? Because her eyes tell us her brain is actually looking for this data. It's looking, you know, it doesn't have it. Do I register? Did I register? What was she talking about? And she's having to look around a lot because she heard me. She was also possibly watching me, but she's also watching other things. Remember that divided attention. But in this moment, she's really paying attention to my question. I and hear so she's... So she's ignoring you guys a little bit. Like, why did I talk about Macy's? What led me to talk about Macy's? Oh, uh, we were, you were giving us. Okay, let's see if anybody out there remembers why we were talking about Macy's. Because this is, again, the idea of a working memory. Because I was telling a story about the difference between the ability to hold on to something when you switch places and 
not being able to do that so easily because there's interference. So I was describing what's pretty normal for all of us as we're getting older and whether or not I'd be able to remember. Um, I was in the living room and then I had a thought I wanted I was, I thought I would go make a cup of coffee. Oh, was I supposed to fill those thoughts in because I knew the coffee part. You knew the coffee part. But this thing where you're trying to pay attention to different things, this is where individuals could think, oh, she's having problems with her memory. What she's really having some different abilities is attention. Because she can't divide her attention equally to what I'm saying in the story that I'm telling because it has lots of pieces and sequence to it. And what she's doing. If you said to me, what's the story? You came into a different space. You were in the living room. You went to go make a cup of coffee. And you got a phone call from a friend who said, let's meet at the mall at Macy's at 2 o'clock. So what happened there? Why could she do it that way and not the other way? Because I wasn't divided attention. Oh, so she actually was paying attention to this whole stream. But when I said just this piece, her brain was like, huh? I don't understand. Because how she went about putting the memory in was different than how she might put the memory in for the five items that she's holding on. Because how important are those five items? What if I told you, if you don't remember those five items, I'm going to label you as having a memory problem. That would it make you anxious, though, rather than comfortable? It would. And so for some people, setting it up that way, it actually makes it shorter for them to hold on to the five items. Whereas for some people, that becomes vital because their primitive brain, their amygdala says emotional memory. Come on, kick in. You've got to help me out. And so what could happen? I've been score incredibly well because I feel threatened by this activity of being able to do these things. Or I might be paralyzed. I can't think. And I don't do well at all because I feel threatened by it. But neither of those are an accurate representation of how I might be doing in my daily life. Because on a daily basis, who was the person that decided she wanted to go get coffee? Did I head toward the right place to go get coffee? And if no one had called me, would you see me be able to make the coffee and then go back to the living room? Yes. Yeah. What was the problem? I got interrupted by a whole bunch of stuff. Now, that's pretty common. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't matter what your age is. When you get interrupted, truly an interruption considered to what you were going to do, and you find yourself in a new location, and in this new location, you have done many things, what your brain will say is, okay. First thing it will say, let's look around, see if we can figure it out by looking around the space. Can I see what it is I might have come in here? And so you actually do a visual regard of the space. It's a very common thing where you're looking in visual cortex. You're saying, oh, I 
a visual nourish board for this? Is there something here that triggers my thinking as to why I might have come in here? So we use visual. The next thing most human beings do is they start talking to themselves. Now, they can talk out loud or they can talk inside themselves. But now they're going for a verbal linguistic way of trying to find the information. So I was in the living room. I was sitting in the chair. I was watching TV. And I decided, what? Why did I get it? Why was I coming? I just didn't. Was I going to? Oh. And so usually when you talk to yourself, whether it's an internal conversation or an external you can trigger the verbal linguistic memory when you say it out again to yourself, which is what you said in living room. Oh, I'm going to go make a cup of coffee. And then you get in the kitchen and you're looking around. You can't figure it out. You go, what was I going to do? I was going to make something. What was I going to make? And then maybe in combination, the visual and the verbal together, looking around that space, you're problem solving. And you're using the front of your brain to think it through. And then ching, the penny will drop. And you will go find that information. Now, the third way, which we sometimes have to resort to, is you have to actually go back to the place where you had the thought. And when you go back, you actually may have to sit in the chair looking at the TV. And that's when your brain goes, oh, that's right. I wanted to go make a cup of coffee. Once you recreate the sensory experience as it was, you might very well be able to find the information you're looking for. Here's the curious thing about human beings. We form new synapses constantly. At the end of every day, our brain shuts down external intake. I'm full, I'm done. And we go into a sleep state. Now, it is not a static, I'm asleep. It comes in waves. And during some of the waves of sleep, what happens in our brain is there are chemicals in our brain that cause our brain literally to squeeze and relax. Squeeze down and relax. And in doing that, your brain tissue, your brain actually shrinks a little bit and then it grows back and then it shrinks. And what it's ringing out, it's like ringing out toxins. It's ringing out all the stuff you don't need. It's ringing stuff out. And one of the things it does is it gets rid of stuff that's not important, necessary, vital to hold on to. So things that you simply memorize for no good reason, you remembered it to get you to the grocery store and back. This is the five things I need to get at the grocery store. When you sleep, those things, that will get taken out because there's no point in holding on to it. As a matter of fact, it will mess you up because tomorrow when you go to the grocery store, if you haven't forgotten it and let go of it, what might you purchase all over again? Same things over because I haven't bought it yet, I need to buy it. Because what happens is every day we need to empty, not empty, but re- get rid of the stuff we don't need so we have a space and we're ready for a new day. So over time, we develop two kinds of memory. 
those things that we want to hold on because we do them over and over. So we hold on to the procedure of doing them. It's called procedural memory. I do it without thinking about it. However, you have to be able to react and respond to variation. And I have to know whether did I do it today or I'm remembering that I did it yesterday and I have not yet done it today. There's this combo of the two memories that have to come together for me to function effectively. I have to know that in the morning I take a shower, but then I have to figure out once I'm in my clothes, did I in fact take a shower this morning? Or am I remembering the shower that I usually take? And it's like I actually didn't take one this morning because I was running behind and I just did a real quick wash up. And in fact, these clothes are the same clothes I had on the day before because I laid them down and I thought they were the fresh clothes because I usually put fresh clothes, but I forgot to put the fresh clothes out because I got sidetracked yesterday. And what I'm describing can be the very early symptoms where we start to think, oh, I'm just getting forgetful. <laughs> and what you're actually experiencing is my brain is not doing its nightly cleaning activity. I'm not getting rid of things, emptying, and then recharging my brain. So if that starts happening, it starts getting really cluttered and filled with stuff. And then it's hard to know, did I or didn't I? And then some people will start trying to keep track of it in a very visual way or a kinesthetic way. So they use vision and they actually talk to themselves. And they say, so I took my medicine this morning. Yes, I did because I put an X there. And then you have to wonder, why is the medicine still in that little slot and if I have an X there? And that's because... The divided attention of marking on the calendar compared to actually going through the sequence of taking the medicine. So people say, I only mark it on the calendar after I take the medicine. Typically, that is absolutely correct. Unfortunately, you went, I'm going to take my medicine. The phone rang, talked to somebody. And you said, oh, yeah, I did. Okay, that's right. I was just getting ready to mark it on the calendar. And what happened to the middle steps? Yeah, they totally they, corrupted. They didn't, they didn't actually happen, but you know them so well, it's hard to tell whether or not you skipped them or whether you did them. And so the more ordered and routine your life it is, the harder it is to know whether you're starting to have problems or not. Hopefully I've thoroughly confused everyone with the different ways that we have memory. We have auditory memory, we have visual memory, we have kinesthetic memory. But then within, so when people talk about memory problems with dementia, I've got to say, it's like, so what exactly are you talking about here? Because people simplify it so much that it becomes non-health. Um, because people living with dementia, I find, often have really good memory abilities if you give them the right kind of support and cueing. If you're asking them to do it all on their own, then I would agree they have some issues. And I would agree that many of us, and we use compensatory strategies, but there are times when it's no longer typical for us. 
we would have to have a base to know whether we're changing from our baseline or we're just us a little slower, but not really remarkably. And it turns out that where you store numbers and where you store words and where you store visuals and where you store emotional data and where you store pictures of faces and where you, all those things are linked. They're all unique. And where do you store the procedures? They're in the front, but they're actually more located in the cerebellar area once you master them. But how do you start a Zoom webinar? That you have to go through certain things. And what happened here is you had a different meeting in mind. And so what ended up happening is your brain went, oh, shoot, what was I thinking? And what you were thinking is it was a different webinar. And so you put it all in that format. And that's when your brain went, oh, shoot, nope, not that one, another one. And it only takes one little flip near the start of a sequence so that you don't end up at all where you were planning on going. So all of a sudden, I find myself in the bathroom. And it's like, what did I come in here for? And it's like, she wasn't heading to the bathroom. But when I went to the kitchen, someone had left a royal toilet paper there. Well, wonder who did that? I'll go put it in the bathroom. Then I go to the bathroom and put the toilet paper in there. And, and then I know that there's already a roll of toilet paper on it. Wonder why there's toilet paper. But wonder why, who knocked the toilet paper out? Then I go back to the kitchen, still confused. And then I realize, oh, the tissue box is empty. So what happens when I say the tissue box is empty? What happened for salt folks, at least? I wanted to go find tissues to replace that. Oh, you're muted, so we can't hear you. <laughs> Never mind. Now she I can't talk about this. I wanted to go replace those tissues. <laughs> I'm just so, going to nap after this, too, but it's just, I'm just yeah. calling it a day. So all of this work that we're doing with our memory is actually very taxing because it is burning fuel. It burns a lot of glucose. And so you can do really well on something, but then you're exhausted after it. And it's legit. Just as much as if you had actually gone out and done a major workout with your body. That's how important it is to get a chance to play games with your brain. Play these kinds of games and not do it as a test, rather playful activities. We want to do more with our brains to stimulate our brains, to keep those pathways moving around and floating around and trying out some things. We want to get better at socializing with each other so I can say, okay, there's five things. Now, there was this animal that was on top of something, which is really weird. And you know what? This animal is this old. It's really weird. Not that one that old before, but that's sure not. And rather than being really tall, this animal seemed to be very and you know what? Through all of this, there seemed to be some kind of passage of information. It just went from here to here. And it was like an automatic kind of thing like cars have in. What was that story all about, Mary? A really jack. There's this animal on like this thing. A five-year-old yeah. elephant who was on a ball. That was, he was short and had a transmission. So close. 
He was really not dull. He was really... Oh, sharp. Not short. That's right. And it was this automatic... Transmission. I have transmission on the end there. You did. And you did (laughs) got it all good. And so this is called being playful and being flexible in thinking because that's a whole different memory pad. So I use different play on words to see if I can get that same five words to pop up. But this time I use different kind of cueing. I'm going to pause here because truly I'm taking you on lots of different memory journeys here. And the goal of this was not to make it miserable, but to get us to realize, wow, there's a lot of possibilities here when we let go of the idea that it's this or that. She has memory problems or she doesn't. And realize, huh, there are lots of ways of thinking about memory. Our biggest challenge is we don't think. We accuse. We assume. We, we don't do a good assessment, in my estimation, when it comes to trying to help people figure out what they're still good at, what they're in the ballpark for, and what they're challenged by. So that we can figure out how to provide the right support and the right care so they can keep on shining. And I'm not just talking about people who are living with dementia. I'm talking about people who live stressed lives, people who have a lot on their plate, people who are caring for other people who are trying to live a rich, full life, but it has many big pieces. I'm talking about people who get busy and don't get enough rest. I'm talking about us. And I think too often... We don't look in the mirror unless something's really going wrong. And we don't give ourselves a chance to play around and have a little fun and realize having fun is really the best way to form memory because the other fun you can hold on really well are the ones that are scary and threatening. And I don't, no, I don't encourage that because that truly lead to PTSD. <laughs> what I encourage is the use of things that are fun and interesting that cause us to go, Oh, that makes sense. Not to scare people, but instead to empower people. And that's what. So there you go. So this is a good chance for me to remind everybody. If you have questions for Tifa, like how many times do you actually get to like do that? Raise your hand. Uh, maybe we bring some people on voice or type them in the Q&A section. I have a question for you, Tifa. Sure. I've discovered lately that the busier I get when I go downstairs, I'm like, I've got to make this trip worth it. Also, I'm scared of my stairs right now because I fell down mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. Since the last time you and I talked, I fell down my stairs. All 13 of them landed. That was fun. So now when I go down, I'm like, okay, I've got to make everything count on this trip down because I don't want to do these steps again in 10 minutes because I forgot something. So I go down and I might maybe turn on the water. Um, thing that boils water or something else a what tea kettle or something yes, else yes my tea kettle okay you guys would think i had the worst memory in the world and i actually have a really good memory but like i said wasn't planning on tests today so i turn on my tea kettle and then i'm like okay so my dog wants to go outside but in the meantime i probably need something to eat so i grab something out of the refrigerator and i set that on the counter and then i'm like but i need this out of the freezer to go with that so i grab that and i arrange everything neatly on the counter and then i'm like okay, the dog has to go outside, but I've got to use the restroom real fast. So I go and I use the restroom real fast. And in the meantime, I've grabbed the leash because I'm headed to the restroom. Oh, stuff like that. So 
Am I multitasking at that point? Am you are I trying. Ah, uh, good question. Okay, you are trying to multitask. Yes. And you are trying to divide your attention too many ways. And of course, what it turns out is that's very ineffective. Well, it actually doesn't work very well. It doesn't tend to work. So here's the question. Do you set intentions prior to going down those steps? Usually two things like I need something to drink. Maybe, maybe I haven't eaten today and I need something to eat. And I know the dog has to go outside. Okay. So if we do three to five, that's a healthy number of things to have on our hand. Here's what we want to do before we even get started. Be down those steps. Something to drink. So go ahead and do this with yourself. Something to drink. Hot or cold? Cold. So you want something to drink and you want it cold. So you're going to be going to where in the kitchen? Refrigerator. Now, you also know that you want something to eat. Ooh, something hot or something cold to eat? I haven't decided. Oh, okay. So... Maybe, though, if we go down for something to drink and we know we want that cold and we're going to look in the refrigerator, that would be a good time to decide something cold or am I going to heat it up? So what are we doing in the refrigerator? We're gathering things that we want to get to drink or to eat. Are these connected? Yes. Ah, so now I've connected those two. So there's a higher probability that I'm going to hold onto them because they aren't divided anymore. They're actually connected. And I know it's both drinking and eating. And now we get to the third thing we were going downstairs for. The dog. The dog needs to go out. Before I start taking care of me, because the dog has an output issue and I have an intake issue. Oh, wait, if the dog has an outtake issue, output issue, I wonder if I might want an output before I input. If the dog has an output issue and I have an output issue, we're both on the same output issue. Who's going first, me or the dog? Me, because I seem to be less able to hold things longer the older I get. If we take care of ourselves first, it turns out our brain will work better on all other things. In fact, emptying out will now allow me to think more clearly about the dog and my intake, believe it or not. Because now I've eliminated one thing that is actually the highest priority, which is I've got to empty before I can chill. Is this the same kind of thought process when people go to the grocery store? Because you hear all the time, I went to the grocery store for one thing. I got 10 things and I forgot the one thing that I went for. You got it. Because what they did is they put that list and that list was not in the front of their brain. They didn't put it in a way that they could keep it and hold on to it. What are the five things? Where are they located in the store? What am I going to pick up first? What am I going to pick up second? We don't solidify it in that first thing I said, which is registration. 
we don't actually hold on to it as well as we thought we did. So we get there and there are too many visual cues and then I have memory cues and then I'm getting all this. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. I wanted to make that cake. What do I need for the cake? What are you talking about? The cake? Where's that coming from? I went to the store hungry. And now I start looking for glucose. Why do I look for glucose? Because my primitive brain goes, glucose. Yes, salt, fat, or sugar are the best things to put in when you're feeling a little down because they make you feel comfortable. So that's a survival memory. Because when we are feeling empty, we need to fill. And so that's why we will pick sugar, salt, fat. Because those things are things that help us feel better in the moment. Yeah. For those of you who are watching, put in the comment section. Let me know how many times you've gone to the grocery store and, and you've forgotten the one thing that you went for. Because I do that a lot. And I'm sure all of y'all do that a lot. I hope that question helps. Because I know that there's so many times. And then people are like, you should have written, it, written yourself a list. I do. And then that list gets forgotten on the table or the counter or wherever I put it. Take a picture of it. Or my favorite is, well, why didn't you take a picture of it? If you just put it on your phone, then you'd have it with you no matter what. Those are always, those are the, I told you, those are the folks that are testing. What would work better, actually, if you want to exercise your brain, is to figure out how you can get yourself to really hold on to those things before you ever go to the grocery store. Don't be, don't be so quick to just make a list. Really think about how can I hold on to these five? Because if you're not rehearsing with your hippocampal area, and it turns out the hippocampus and memory, you got to exercise it. Or it says, never mind. Why am I doing all this work? You're going to put it on a piece of paper. Fine. So it is a use it or lose it moment. Mm -hmm. It absolutely what is. What the less you other, rehearse. What, other, some, what are, are some other ways to use it before you lose it? Yeah, so a lot of the things are the game kind of things that we've been playing. And if I say, okay, let's name five cities that start with P. Five. Is this another test? Okay, five cities that start with P. What starts with P? Philadelphia. Philadelphia, good. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, excellent. I'm thinking Potomac, but that's not a city, right? That's a river. That's a herder. Uh, there might be a Potomac. I can't say that there isn't. Okay, we'll count that as three then. Guys, help me out. What's more fees? Phoenix. Portland. Oh, Phoenix. Portland. Yeah. Good call, Pam. There um, you go. Punxsutawney, where they had the groundhog. So it is a song. I was saying that's a groundhog woman. Uh, I know. Punxsutawney fell because he was from Punxsutawney. There we go. There you go. We can play all kinds of games. And now we're going to switch you into colors to start with P. Pink. Purple. Purple. What else, guys? Pink, purple. Pink, purple. I'll give you one. Puce. Puce? Puce. What is that? It's an ugly. It's an interesting color between purple and pink. Puce. That sounds made up. Plum. Plum. Hard questions, Tifa. Oh, how about another fruit that's out of Georgia? Oh, peach. Peach. Yeah. There you go. Different than at the top, might I add. You don't think of peach being as much of a color. At least I don't. When I hear peach, I think oh, of peach complexion. Have you not heard of somebody having a peach, peachy complexion? 
Not as much. You're from the South. I think that's a more South. She never accused me. <laughs> so what we're really doing Ohio, is... Ohio, we don't get PTO here. Okay, so we can also do things as simple as having playing cards and turning them face down and having a set of five or ten and then see how many you can figure out, turn them over one at a time, memorize where you think they are, and then see, can you name them without seeing them? Again, anything along that line, you can play all kinds of riddles and games. All of it is using different aspects of What about some and all of your games there? But some computer games are really good. The ones you have to be careful of are ones that are timed. Because frequently ones that are timed will increase your anxiety level. And when you increase your anxiety level, it's not so much fun as it is a test. And so that's one of the tricky parts. You want to do something that makes you feel good about what you're doing and playful about it. And then if you want to, yeah, you can test yourself against yourself. Am I doing it faster than I used to do it? But to compare yourself to some norm or to under this clock where you feel really stressed, it's really not a healthy thing to do for human brains. It turns out it stresses them. Now, some people who find enjoyment, in it, look, I did it faster. Look, I did it faster. When you're feeling successful, it's fine. When you start to feel unsuccessful, continuing to do that to yourself is not a healthy behavior. And you really do want to look for other places and spaces to find that pleasure because we want people to find pleasure in using their brain, not pain. Because what happened when you fell in the stairs? Do you want to do the stairs as often? No. And what happens, you start avoiding the stairs. And the more you avoid the stairs, the more com- uncomfortable you are going down the stairs. And then the higher the risk actually goes that you will have problems on the stairs because you're not rehearsing the stairs very right? Actually, so I avoided them for three days. And then I was mm-hmm. like, so my t- my upstairs bathroom, if you're sitting on the toilet stairs, right down the, st- the stairs. And oh. I was like, you're not the boss of me. You're not going to win. And I took those stairs back. And so every day <laughs> since then, I've gone up and down them a minimum of 10 to 15 times. Taking See, there you go. Of these stairs. Yeah. I do know that just... a lot of us, though, that are still working, because uh, <laughs> I promoted this webinar, are not being a senior thing, right? It's for all ages. And it's for all of us. A lot of us that are still working, that we go out there and we network and we meet people and trying to remember people and remember their names and what their faces look like connected. To, if they hand you a business card, reading that business card and saying, okay, Bob, he had red hair and glasses and he was from Pittsburgh and whatnot and trying to make yourself make up a story just like we did with the elephant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is one thing that helps a lot of people try to remember, could connect those faces to those names when they're meeting a bunch of people at one time. Yeah. One of the ways you can play with that even smaller is, hi, I'm Tifa, and you are Marianne. Now, Marianne, I am from Pittsburgh, and you're from Ohio. Oh, Ohio. Cleveland or somewhere else? Dayton. Dayton. So, Marianne. When you, uh, were you raised in Dayton or you just moved there afterward? I was born here. I grew up in Florida and I moved back. Uh, so, Marianne, you enjoy being in Ohio, South? Not particularly. Not particularly. Oh. How many times did I use your name? Four or five. I looked at you and made some mind contact. 
the more we do that with ourselves as I'm meeting a new person, actually, as I say their name and I look at you and I say their name and I look at you and I ask you a question and I have some, I have five or six questions that I use procedurally. Marianne is from Ohio. She's from Dayton, Ohio. She went to Florida. She came back to Dayton. She doesn't necessarily like Ohio, but she lives there. That gives me, and when I share the information with you, it feels more like an even exchange. It wasn't like I was digging into your life and I didn't tell you anything. But as I do this, I use your name more frequently. And what I've actually built is three synaptic pathways. By saying your name is different than hearing your name. And when I just hear your name and I don't say it again, I limit my ability to hold on to it. So are those good exercises for seniors that have started to, is the word degregate? Is it which delimit? Where they start to um, degenerate. Their brains start to lose some of those synaptic control. And it turns out, yeah, you can actually get those things to hook on better if you use what you do have, which is the ability to say the name when I'm looking at you. And then it turns out when I see you, I go, oh, I know you. You're from Dayton, aren't you? And it's like, sure am. I'm Tina and you are. And I have that little formula that helps me out because then I can get you to say your name again and go, oh, yeah, Marianne, that's right. And you moved down to Florida, didn't you? Because it's amazing how many storage places we have. And the problem is if I can't find the first one and that's all I'm looking for, then I panic and my brain goes, oh, no, I can't remember. Rather than I'm Tina and I know I've met you before. And you are, and because I gave you a perfect entry into Marianne, I want you to say it for me one more time so I could register it, so I could find it and I could make that use of it. All right. We started a few minutes late, so I'm just going to go a couple more minutes late. And I've got one more question for you, Tifa, that somebody asked me to ask you. And I'm not sure who I spoke with this about. It might have been you a while back, but we were talking about having surgery and the use of anesthesia making dementia and alzheimer patients worse faster and so the census was if you're going to have elective surgery and you know that something's coming up do it in your 40s versus in your 70s type stuff can you give us just a brief synopsis of how the anesthesia with surgeries helps any of this real quick because that she asked yeah. me, and I was like, I will ask Tipo during this recording. Yeah, and so when we get anesthetized, it puts us to sleep. In other words, it puts our brain to sleep, too. Our bodies to sleep, our, and we actually have to have a fake breathing mechanism. It's called a ventilator. So we have to be ventilated when we're in surgery because our systems are shut down, except for our heartbeat and a few other things. But we don't even breathe on our own. We have to have support to breathe. That's They put a breathing tube down. So when that all gets turned off, the synapses are put to sleep. Our brain literally is put to sleep. When it comes back on, if you had vulnerable brain cells already and they were barely hanging on by threads, it is very possible that some of them won't wake back up. Now, for some of us, it's simply a post-surgical delirium. Like we have a little period of time where we're a little flanky. We're a little weird. We're saying things that don't ring sense. We're talking about things that happened 20 years ago. 
we're talking about people who like things are like, did you talk to mom? I just talked to her. She's like, she's been dead for five years. I don't think so. But it's only during the acute recovery period, the period that you're in the recovery room, that this happens. And then your brain comes back online and it goes, oh, wait a minute. Let me shake it off. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I got it. But for some people that shutting down and shutting off, they don't recover in the same way. And they never do recover in the same way. And as a matter of fact, the losses are recent. I mean, for some people, it's pretty significant. It tends to be people who have vascular, they have vascular damage to their system. So the blood supply, the nourishment system for their brain isn't the best. But it can also be people who have a variety of different dimensions that were really barely scraping by using all those memory connectors that they had. And when we put them to sleep and they came back, for them, when they came back, there were pieces that don't work anymore. And so those are those people. And it's not everyone, but there is a percent of the group population that's more vulnerable to that. Important to know. Because Josh Pettit and I were talking about this, his mother, oh. Betty, has NSAID Alzheimer's. And over the last, I don't know, I think it's been 10 years or so, she had quite a few surgeries because of cancer and some different stuff going on. And we've seen videos yeah. of seven years ago where she wasn't nearly um, um, as bad as she is now as far as her memory and different stuff like that. And I asked, I was like, you know, does does also, does anesthesia itself have anything to do with dementia or alzheimer's in that case and i forget who it was i don't remember if it was you or somebody else had told me like there were pockets that get filled up with this anesthesia and blah 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 and i don't remember what the rest of that story was but it just seems that she had these surgeries and all of a sudden she was just so much worse so much faster and so we yeah we find that certain folks and it's not everyone is vulnerable they have a vulnerability and yeah when they go under they never come back how do you and know, you know a way of knowing that no there isn't currently unless you've had surgeries before and you took a long time to come out of anesthesia like it was a challenge and you really were loopy for quite a little bit of time after you came out of the surgery like I and so you told me that's a control so I'm a control <laughs> freak and that's part of that it is one of the things is you are out of control. When you're under anesthesia, you have no control. And so it is a scary place for us to be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't give us cause. We should think, is this worth it? Is this worth doing this? And if it is, we shouldn't do it. But if we're going, or what? And we weigh it and we go, I don't know if it's worth it because the anxiety I experience is significant. Let's talk about that. Let's figure out, are there ways to less make you less anxious? And what if you have somebody with you trust as that man? Or so those kind of things are important to think about before we go into this situation, because otherwise your brain is not in a good place to go out of anesthesia, quite honestly. And it turns out how we feel about everything is how we do. See, because I was told a lot of people don't discuss the subject because they don't want people being scared of having procedures that they really do need based on I might not come back as as sharp as i am now and it's like, it is something to think about though do i really need this or is this an elective surgery and i'm subject to this type of behavior based so, on past stuff 
Yeah. So I would say, what am I going to gain from this surgery and what's the risk? I want to know risk and benefit. And I think everybody should be able to ask about risk and benefit. So what is the best possible outcome? What's the probability for me, given that you've examined me, what do you think probability is for the best possible outcome? And where is it more likely to land? How much mobility am I going to gain in my head? How much am I likely to have pain reduction? How much is it going to improve my vision? You know what? Now, what's the risk here again? Looks, my blood pressure, okay. You know what? Let's do it now because I don't want to wait. Because frankly, as I get older, there's a risk of just going to increase the risk. Or you know what? I'm going to take my chances. I think I'm going to do this. But it's based on not fear, but information. And for me, it's all about making sure people get the right information because otherwise it's not really informed decision-making. I don't think. And I think we have so much more valuable resources to us, including Uh Tipa Snow, by the way. TipaSnow.com is your website. So if you have any questions, if you need information, go check it out because we have information available to us that we didn't have necessarily 30, 40 years ago or even 20 years ago. There's so much more technology out there and and scientific. Five years ago, three years ago, we're learning a lot as we we move forward. Right. But even just knowing what questions to ask. I had to help a person earlier. I went to chat GPT. I'm like, what kind of questions should I ask this person? So there's just so much stuff out there that is valuable mm-hmm. to us. So definitely reach out to Tipa if you need help. I know she's got classes that she offers and workshops. Free consults. We do free consults too. All this type of yeah. stuff. So if you need that help and whatever, don't be afraid to ask. My theory is when I ask Tipa for a favor, I'm like the worst she can tell me is no. And that's the same with other people. If you ask, if they don't know the answer, they're going to tell you. I don't know. So okay. reach out, find these stuff. They're, like I said, the internet's wonderful world. I hope that you guys are finding value in live community. And you'll check out some of the other recordings of meetings that we've had as well. And Tipa, as always, you being with us, just numerous questions. You must have done a really great job answering everybody's questions before they ask them because we haven't had any questions in here whatsoever. They're a curious group. They are. They want to think so. And we had almost 100 people register. We've had about 15 to 20 people in this live. So hopefully you guys are watching this replay as we go and you're getting that information as well. And you'll share it with other people that have these same type of questions. And let's see. So it was... Ball, elephant, sharp, transmission, and 55. See? No skin on you. I had to prove Good job. I had to prove that Not I could have a good memory. I remember somebody no, told me one time, I said, you know what? As I get older, because of someone that's considerably younger than me, and he told me, he said, if you have half the memory that you have when you get old and, and forgetful, if you have half the memory, you're still going to be in really good shape. We fly under the radar, just as it's called flying under the radar. But you know who you'll notice? Who will notice? You. True mock for you. So hopefully that's still the case as I age and each and every one of you. But again, if you have any questions yeah, or whatever, feel to reach out. I'll pass them on to Tipa. And, but just go to Tipa's website, tipasnow.com, and she'll get back with you or somebody from her team, right, Tipa? True. All right. Have a whole team. Have a great day, everybody. Tipa, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Carol. Thank you.